this afternoon. I'm going to do my best to keep you guys awake. And I think the best way to do that is by praying for the Lord's help to that end. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the work of your churches. Lord, we thank you for the work in our own lives in bringing us to a knowledge of the truth. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage the work of the church uh, in places around the world. Lord, we pray that you'd help us in our individual responsibilities to be a part of that work. And Lord, that we pray that in doing that, you would get glory. Lord, we pray you bless this time. Help us to, to have a fruitful time thinking about your word together. And Lord, we pray again in doing that, that you also would be glorified through our lives. So we ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably noticed that missionary talks often start with a missionary biography. There's just so many good stories to pick from. Why would you not do that? Um, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with a story, but of somebody I suspect most of you have never heard of. So let's just test that out. How many of you have ever heard of Johann Hermann Bavinck? Put your hand up. Not Hermann Bavinck. Don't, oh, put your hands back down. The guy who wrote Reform Dogmatics. This isn't him. It's a different guy. This guy's named Johann. Johann Hermann Bavinck. If you've heard of him, put your hands up. Yeah, mostly the guys from CHBC. So, well, if you've never heard of this guy, he wrote a book called The Introduction to the Science of Missions. It's a terribly titled name, Science. That's so strange. Is this like all about studies? No, it's translated from Dutch. And somebody picked the word science for the Dutch word that just means really carefully studying and thinking about something. So an introduction to the science of mission by Johan Hermann Bavink. I'd commend it to you, uh, partly because of his faithfulness in scripture, but also because of his interesting, his interesting life experience. In 1921, Johann Hermann Bavink, who happens, for you theology buffs, to be the nephew of Hermann Bavink, the guy who wrote Reformed Dogmatics. Well, Johann Hermann Bavink in 1921 went from the Netherlands to Indonesia to pastor a church kind of like John Fulmer does, except it was in Dutch instead of in English. But it was an international church mainly serving expats in Indonesia. And he did that for about 10 years. Then in 1930, went back to the Netherlands, did some preparation, came back to Indonesia as a missionary church planter among the Javanese people. And he did that for another about 15 years before he eventually retired back in the Netherlands. Well, when he went to uh, work with the Javanese people, he found himself in a situation kind of like I think lots of people in missions find themselves today with all sorts of ideas, all sorts of questions about various methodologies, church structure, evangelistic strategies, all these things were swirling around. And Johann Herben Bavink penned these fairly famous words among those have, that have written it. He, he summed up you know, all the questions that were floating around about missions in his day, and he wrote this. He said, answers to all these questions, answers can be given solely on the basis of Scripture. For the work of missions is the work of God. It is not lawful for us to improvise. Well, today I think we're faced with all kinds of questions about missions, about methodologies, about various strategies, about evangelism. But I think sometimes the difference between our day and Bavink's day 
is I think lots of evangelicals in missions have decided it's just fine for us to improvise to our heart's content. Like, if it seems to work, if it seems to draw a crowd, if it's reporting good statistics, well, then let's go for it. As long as we have the basics of the gospel, God doesn't really care about what else we do. Well, I don't think that's exactly true. And I don't think Bavink was just a really conservative guy. I think Bavink said what he said because he'd read the words of another missionary a long time before him, almost 2,000 years earlier, when an old missionary was writing a message to one of his missionary protégés, who was a missionary church planter in Ephesus, who'd started pastoring a church there. And the Apostle Paul had these words to say to his protege, Timothy. That's what we're going to look at this afternoon in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul's written two letters to Timothy at this point, and then he concludes his second letter summing up sort of everything he can gather up about the work of gospel ministry in pastoring a church in another place in a missionary setting. And Paul says this, starting in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply for themselves teachers because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Well, I want us to look at this passage, particularly in the context of missions and missionary church planters. And I want us to ask three questions of the passage. That'll be the outline for, for my brief talk. Three questions. One, first, what does a faithful missionary do? Now, we've talked a lot about missions. What do missionaries actually do according to the Bible? Number two, how does a faithful missionary work? How do they do what they do? And then number three, who should a faithful church support? So number one, what does a faithful missionary do? Number two, how does a faithful missionary work? And number three, who should a faithful church support? Well, let's start with number one. Paul makes it very clear at the outset that what he's about to tell Timothy is serious. That, like Bavink said, the work of missions is the work of God. This is not something for us to trifle with. This is the serious purpose of God to get glory for himself throughout the whole world. And so Paul starts off his letter with this, this string of charges saying that he charges Timothy in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus. And he reminds Timothy that this is the God who is going to judge everyone, 
And this is a God who is coming soon in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In light of those realities, he wants Timothy to listen carefully to what he has to tell him. And the first thing he tells him is this. What does a faithful missionary do? Well, a faithful missionary proclaims the message. They preach the word. Proclamation, Paul says, is the central part of the pastoral, the the missionary task, the work that we do in any local church. You know, all the other good things that we may do are good things. And we don't need in a talk like this to to get off and spend time trying to juggle out, you know, how, how much other good things should we do? You know, feeding the poor, social action. You know, there's lots of good things we can do. But what we need to agree on is what Paul says, that the priority, the center of God's mission in the world is that we would proclaim the gospel. We declare the message about Jesus from the Bible. The word, the Bible, it's the topic of missionary conversation. It's the tool for missionary work. It's the grid for missionary theology. It's it's the glory that we delight in. Well, it might be strange that I'm pressing this right at the beginning of a, a conference for folks like you, and you may be very surprised, but I think what I've just said would actually be controversial among a lot of people engaged in evangelical missions today. The centrality of the proclamation of the gospel from the Bible isn't as much of a given as we might think. And I think that's really always been the case. That's why the Apostle Paul doesn't stop when he just says, preach the word. He keeps going because he knows that just like in our day, Timothy's going to be tempted not to do that. And so he gives us the second thing that he says faithful missionaries do. They persist in proclaiming the message. You see that where he says, you know, some of your translations may say, do this in season or out of season. Do it whether convenient or not. Faithful missionaries, Paul says, don't get distracted. They keep focusing on the basic work of missions, which is to declare the gospel from the Bible, to preach the word. Again, that might seem intuitive to a lot of you guys, but actually in relationships that I have overseas, sadly, there are a lot of folks that I think have lost confidence, maybe not in the core of the gospel itself, but they've certainly lost confidence in preaching the gospel from the Bible. I've run across folks that that have told me, I've read books that have said things like this, that, that preaching the gospel from the Bible only works among people who see the Bible as authoritative. So there are folks that will say, you know, you can't preach the Bible to Muslims because Muslims don't see the Bible as being authoritative. They see the Quran as being authoritative. So you know, maybe we should try to work with stuff from the Quran to explain the gospel to them or at least get them to pay attention to the Bible but the Bible itself doesn't have any appeal. Well, friends, I think that's a, that's a serious matter. I think that's perhaps a serious deficiency in our doctrine of Scripture. It's interesting, when I, when I talk to folks, particularly from here in North America, when I talk to them about the doctrine of Scripture, people will often say, oh yeah, you know, I believe that the Bible is infallible. I believe it's inerrant. I think it's authoritative. I think it's clear. I think the Bible is sufficient. But one of the things I almost never hear anybody from North America say 
is that the Bible is also self-validating or self-authenticating. I think Paul certainly believed that. And one of the ways that we help encourage missionaries to persist in preaching the gospel from the Bible is helping them to believe what Bible-believing Christians have normally believed throughout history. That's that the Bible is actually self-validating. That doesn't mean there's not any place for apologetics. It doesn't mean there's not any place for having conversations about the veracity of Scripture and the historical collection of the biblical narratives. But what it does mean is that Christians, especially Christian missionaries, they need to have a confidence that the Bible itself, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is able to convince people of the truth of the message of the Bible. This isn't just my hobby horse. This is what Christians have historically believed. So back in the 17th century, a bunch of Christians gathered in London wrote this about the doctrine of Scripture. They said, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. And then here comes the little theological hand wave. They say, yet, notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Friends, faithful missionaries persist in preaching the gospel from the Bible. They understand that the, the Bible is the power of God for the salvation of those that believe. As I said before, this is no small matter because if, if missionaries don't believe this, they're going to be really tempted to try to find something else they can hold up as authoritative to validate the message of the Bible. The Bible just doesn't need that help. And one story that I've, I've loved from a friend of mine who worked in another country that the majority of people there have their own holy book that they revere. And he tells a story of a man he met one day who was an atheist. And he asked the guy, well, how, how did you become an atheist? So the guy told his story. He said, well, you know, I didn't used to be an atheist. I used to be very serious and religious, but I kept reading our holy book. And I went to my religious teacher one day and I said, you know, everything that it says in this holy book is just a bunch of nonsense. And the religious teacher said, well, that's because you're reading it in translation. You know, if you, if you went and learned this in the original language, the language of heaven, then, then you would understand. So this guy actually moved his family to another country, learned the language so he could read his holy book in the original language it was written in. Well, a couple of years later, he ran into that same religious teacher on the street, and the guy said, what did you discover? He said, I discovered it says the same nonsense in that language that it did in our language. So he became an atheist. And then enters my missionary friend who met him one day and gave him a copy of the Bible. And the guy goes away and reads it. My friend who was running a, a bookstore at the time 
said the guy comes back into his bookstore. He's a pretty animated guy. Said the guy comes back into his bookstore, takes the Bible he gave him and slams it down. And he wonders what the guy's gonna do. And the guy points at it and he says, now this, this is what a message from God would sound like. And friend, the Bible, the Bible is self-validating. Like get people to read the Bible, read the Bible with people, pray that the Holy Spirit will work in and through the Word of God to bring change in people's hearts. If you think it's strange that I'm pressing this point so much, I don't think you'd be able to imagine how much mischief in international missions has happened because people have lost confidence that the Bible is able to convict and convince people, and they start looking for something else. I just don't think God will bless that. Which brings us to our third thing that faithful missionaries do. Faithful missionaries, number one, they proclaim the message from the Bible. Number two, they persist in proclaiming the message from the Bible. And number three, they apply the Bible. That's what Paul keeps telling Timothy. Do you notice there he says that he should rebuke, correct, and encourage all from the Bible. The scriptures are supposed to be our primary evangelistic strategy. I think that's what Paul means when he says rebuke. It's the, the word that just means to bring to shame, to bring to a, a knowledge of conviction, a knowledge of sin. I, this, I, I don't mean to say that, you know, all we can do is re read the Bible out loud to people. We, we talk to people. We try to give them illustrations. We explain. We build relationships with them. But faithful missionaries make the Scripture the core of what they do in bringing people to a conviction of sin. Scripture says the Holy Spirit uses God's Word to do that work. And then faithful missionaries keep on applying the Bible after people have believed. It's the, the center of their efforts in discipling, in gathering a church. So, you know, workbooks can be fine, certain methods can be useful, but faithful missionaries are going to be looking back to Scripture again and again and again as the basis for what they're doing in discipling. And when they want to gather a church, when there are believers that have, have believed and are ready to be baptized, they're going to look back to Scripture again, and they're going to look for the pattern of their church, how their church should be governed, how it should be led. You know, faithful missionaries are Bible people. So friend, I, I want to warn you, if you're a church leader or a pastor, if you meet someone and they're very excited about methods and strategies and workbooks, but they don't seem to ever talk about the Bible, well, run away. And even more than that, for the sake of Christ's kingdom, make sure you take your wallet with you. Like, don't give them any money. Give money to missionaries that are excited about God's Word and the Bible. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. That's what faithful missionaries do. That's what they were doing in the first century. That's what they do today. Faithful missionaries proclaim the Bible. They persist in proclaiming the, the gospel from the Bible, and they apply it. It's their primary missionary tool. That's point number one. Point number two, how does a faithful missionary work? 
Well, Paul keeps going. Did you notice? He tells, he tells Timothy how he should do this work. We see that right there at the end of verse 2. He should do what he does, he says, with great patience and teaching. He explains why. He keeps going. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. We can agree on what faithful missionaries do. And I think we can still go wrong if we get the how wrong. You know, I, know, I know workers that are my brothers and sisters in Christ who would agree with everything I've said, but they might have trouble with what I'm about to say because they might not agree on the how. Well, I think Paul's really clear. I think he says three things again on how faithful missionaries do their work. They do their work, number one, with great patience. And number two, they do it with careful instruction. And number three, they do it with clear-eyed discernment. Well, first, with great patience. Again, you might be surprised that I think this is controversial, but I think it is. I think, I think it's always going to be controversial as long as missionaries are composed of people like us, fallen human beings, because we want things to happen fast. But should we expect that? Well, let me give you an illustration. I like oatmeal. I like oatmeal a lot. I had oatmeal for breakfast this morning. But sometimes I'm in a big hurry. And so I make instant oatmeal for my children. Instant oatmeal is one of the most glorious inventions in the history of culinary science. You can take a little packet, you can dump it into a bowl, you can pour hot water on it. Few things that are instant actually deliver on their name. You have to wait a while. But this one, you don't. You pour hot water on it, you stir it up, and it's oatmeal. You can eat it immediately, that minute. It's amazing. But you know what I've never done? I've served instant oatmeal to my kids a lot. But one thing I have never done, I have never grabbed my children and said, okay, kids, dad's about to make instant oatmeal. I just want to go ahead and tell you this ahead of time because I want you to be able to prepare yourself because this is going to require a lot of patience on your part. All right? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the oatmeal. I'm going to pour hot water. I'm going to stir it. And presto, it's going to be ready. So this is going to take great patience. You need to brace yourselves. Obviously, that would be silly. It would take me longer to do that by far than it would to just make the silly oatmeal, all right? Now, I don't want to insult anyone, but we've not, we've not entered the realm of exegetical rocket science here, okay? You, you don't warn people that something is going to require great patience if the expectation is that it will happen quickly. All right? This is not complicated. All right? You don't tell someone you're going to need not just patience, you're going to need all patience, great patience, super abundant patience, if the normal expectation is that this is going to happen rapidly and quickly and easily. 
Paul says that faithful missionaries work with great patience. And I think we can pretty easily deduce from that that the work of evangelism and discipling and missionary church planting is usually, normally, going to take a long time. Now, again, I stress this because there are well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ who long to see people believe. They long to see churches established. They they long to see whole movements where churches are planting churches in sort of a a fast-forward chain reaction that I think they sometimes forget that the Bible says we, we really should brace ourselves and expect that normally, under most circumstances, the work of missions is going to be slow. It's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take great patience. Of course, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Those of us that are pastors or church leaders, we know that, that bringing a person from belief in the gospel to maturity in Christ, in one sense, it takes a lifetime. But to bring them to a point to be a leader in a church, it takes years. Now, I do not understand why some people seem to think that if just because someone speaks a different language and lives in a different country and wears different looking clothes, that somehow that reality is dissolves away. No, it, it takes great patience to bring people to maturity because the work of church planting is people work. It's not just about numbers and statistics. It's about individual people being told the gospel by God's grace, believing that gospel, and then being taught and discipled into the fellowship, we hope, of a real church where they're nurtured and taught everything that Jesus has commanded. And normally, that's going to take a long time. And we shouldn't be discouraged by that because I think it's always taken a long time. And yet, look at how the gospel has triumphed. Things didn't happen, have to happen super rapidly for the gospel, like Mark talked about, to spread from Jerusalem all the way to North Carolina. God understands what he's doing. He's got a good plan. He knows how to bring people to maturity in Christ. Our job is to pay attention to what he's written and to recognize that the work is going to take great patience. God has not promised a rate of increase. He has promised a glorious return. All right. Great patience. Number two, it's going to require careful instruction. That's why we have to be patient. Paul's saying the reason we have to be patient is not because God just wants things to happen slowly, but we have to have great patience because the work we're being called to requires careful instruction, careful teaching. That's not going to happen overnight. Again, as Matthew 28, 18 says, we need to teach people in the context of churches all that Jesus has commanded. That's a lot. Well, this doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait. 
I have one friend who was a missionary in Uzbekistan. And like so many missionaries, particularly in Muslim contexts, he labored for years before he saw his first convert. He labored for close to a decade before they saw the first church gather in the city where he was. But you know, he kept teaching people. And along the way, he translated catechisms into the local language. He prepared study materials. He discipled believers. He understood that not only did he want to teach those who had believed, he wanted to prepare and leave behind a whole mountain of biblical teaching material and instruction for those that would come after him, or in, the case, in his case, those that would remain behind after he had to leave the country. Faithful missionaries do their work by careful instruction. Again, if you're thinking about missionaries to support, that's something you need to ask. Is this what they're doing? Are they, are they carefully, deliberately, patiently, biblically teaching and instructing people just the way you do in your local church? It's not any different overseas. Third, we see that faithful missionaries do their work with clear-eyed discernment. You notice how Paul is very blunt with Timothy in explaining why this teaching needs to be so careful. Not because of some special event that's going to happen, but just because he knows the bent of fallen human hearts. So he writes this in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Isn't that true of all of us? They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I think discernment has always been required in the work of missions, but sometimes I think it it, it couldn't have been any more desperately needed than today. There are, there are so many voices in missions today that say, hey, we found the golden key. If you'll just do this thing, just do this program, just use this strategy, we can unlock the nations for Christ. Well, yeah, I, I think there is a key. You know, I'm, I'm not cynical in that sense. I have real questions about their key, but... The key is proclaiming the gospel from the Bible and to keep on doing it and to do it carefully, and to do it with great patience and with careful teaching. We in our mission support and those missionaries that we may support and send out, they need to have an extra special measure of discernment because they're going to run into the same things that we run in here but they're not going to have the same support, the same structures. They're going to need to be able to discern the sort of siren call of people's desire to hear what they want to hear. I've known of many missionaries that have been pulled away from the most faithful kind of work because they recognize the people I'm among really want to hear this. And if I tell them that, I can get more people to come and listen. And that's good for evangelism, isn't it? And little by little, they just begin to maybe embody what we just read there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the teachers that tell people what they want to hear and gather a crowd. Well, faithful missionaries have clear-eyed discernment for that. They can discern the difference between 
pragmatism and faithfulness. I think that's, that's maybe the most obvious divide in missions today. There are well-meaning Christians who look at the work of missions and their strategy is improvisation. They want to improvise. They want a strategy that, that's going to produce visible results and to produce them really fast. And if it produces results, it must be from God. Well, I'm not going to sit and name all the different strategies people may have come up, come up with to lead people in that direction. But I encourage you and certainly the faithful missionaries you would support to be on the watch for pragmatism. You can serve your missionaries well by encouraging them, not just to produce more numbers, but encourage them in faithfulness. Help them to, to recognize the difference between good contextualization and consumerism. You know, giving the customer what they want works in a sense. It's worked for a lot of people here in North America it's strange to me that some missionaries think just because I have a different group of customers who want something different, it's okay for me to give them what they want rather than maybe giving them what they really need, which is the, the offensive message of the Scripture that tells about our sin that we don't want to hear about but that we desperately need to hear about so that we can be prepared to hear the message about the Savior that died on a cross in the place of sinners. Missionaries need discernment. But I recognize I'm, I structured those first two questions about missionaries, and I know I'm not speaking to a, a gathering of missionaries per se. Most of the people here are church leaders and pastors. So I think it's wise if we turn and spend our last few minutes applying things to ourselves in our own churches. And we ask that third question, who should a faithful church send or support and how? Well, this isn't just the kind of question you ought to ask at a missions gathering. This is a really serious question. And if you want to get the feel for the seriousness of it, I'd encourage you to go read two short books in the New Testament, 2 John and 3 John. Who you support from your local church is serious for a negative reason and a positive reason. In John's second letter, he says who you support and give money to and help is important because John says in 2 John verse 10 that if we give support to people that are unfaithful, we, in John's word, share in their wicked work. We don't want to be a part of that. You want to be careful about who you give money to support, not in, a, not in an overly critical, skeptical sort of way, but you want to be careful. You want to know who you're supporting, what you're behind, what you're giving money to, what your members are giving their time to, because you can't say on the last day, oh, I just gave them money. I really wasn't directly involved. You know, John says, if you even greet and encourage a false teacher, you share in their wicked work. So discernment's not just needed for missionaries. Discernment's needed for all of us. But John's not always a downer. Then he wrote a third letter when he says just the flip side. He says, if you 
faithfully and carefully give money to support faithful missionaries, then you're partnering together for the truth. That's not just fundraising language. You know, when a missionary says, hey, I want you to partner in my ministry, and you say, okay, let me go find my checkbook, they're, they're actually talking about something real and spiritual and biblical. When we give money to help support the work of faithful missionaries, Paul says, we're giving something that's credited to our account. I don't know exactly what that means in heaven, but it's obviously good. He says, we're really partnering with them in the truth, which is a wonderful and a glorious thing. So think carefully about who you should support. I think we read finally in, in Paul's letter to Timothy three things that tell us about who we should be giving our money to support. We see that there at the end in verse 5. Paul turns back to Timothy after talking about sort of the unfaithfulness of those that are drawn aside by simply teaching what they know people want to hear. He returns to Timothy and says in verse 5, but as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. So who should you support from your churches? Who should you give money to send overseas with the gospel? Well, you should send serious, stable, sober-minded, holy missionaries. You should send persistent missionaries, those that will endure hardship with the idea of continuing on faithfully in what God's revealed to them. And you should support evangelistic missionaries that do the work of an evangelist. Let's look at those three as we close. Serious, sober-minded missionaries. That doesn't mean that your missionaries can't be cheerful, they don't smile, that they're dour, but it does mean that they take the work of missions seriously. Kind of like that quote I read from Johann Bavink, the work of missions is the work of God. This is serious business. So, what, what seems to excite the missionaries that your church gives money to? Great stories, big numbers, or prudence, wisdom, faithfulness, holiness, and fruit from the preaching of the gospel? If you had to describe some of the missionaries you support, would you say that they're, that they're method people or Bible people? Are they pragmatic or focused on careful biblical faithfulness? Well, Mark mentioned that we have a, a missions reading group at our church where some people gather and read books about missions. But you know, one of the interesting things is that surprises people when they come to join that group is they're like, they'll look at the reading list and like, where's the missions? Because in the in a, in a hopefully a godly and God-honoring way, it's kind of bait and switch because we attract them with the idea that it's about missions, but you know what we read books about? We read books about the authority of Scripture, the gospel, the church, and then maybe about halfway through, we start reading some books that are more clearly about missions. Well, that's because the work of missions is serious. And the foundation it's built on is not just 
missionary enthusiasm, and stories of sacrifice. It's built on a foundation of doctrine, of the authority of the Bible, the clarity of the gospel, the revealed nature of the church in Scripture. Is that the kind of missionaries you're training and sending? It's a good question to ask. Second, Paul says that we should be supporting persistent missionaries. I feel very vindicated in the fact that I often beat the drum for the same thing over and over again because Paul is a wonderful role model in that. He starts out with persistence, and then there it is right there at the end again. But is that the kind of missionaries that your church is encouraging? You may say, well, yeah, we we want our missionaries to be faithful and to persist, but, but even in the way you evaluate their work, are you, are you asking them about immediate visible results all the time? Which is a fine thing to ask about now and then. I mean, we want to see fruit. Or are you asking them more probing, deep questions about their faithfulness, their commitment to Scripture, their faithfulness in doing the things that are revealed in the Bible? And are you celebrating that as successful? Are you helping your missionaries to persist in enduring hardship faithfully without turning aside. And number three, Paul says that we should support those who do the work of an evangelist. I think it's worth mentioning that, that there are some people that might hear everything I've said up to this point and think that I'm just talking about missions that's slow and theological and heady and doctrinal and not really concerned with evangelism. Well, I guess you could think that. I don't think Paul thinks that. I think Paul's just spent four verses talking about the importance of gospel proclamation from the Bible, persisting in that, teaching carefully, having sound doctrine, telling people difficult truths. And then at the end of all of that, Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Because I don't think he's talking about something else. I think Paul understands everything he said in verses 1 through 4 is the work of an evangelist. That's what you do to share the gospel. It's not just a a clever gospel presentation. It's all of these things that he's been talking about. He's coming back around at the end and encouraging Timothy to be faithful in the difficult, often slow, ultimately glorious work of being an evangelist. I worry that too often folks, folks make a, a foolish connection between carefulness and callousness to evangelism. I don't think Paul would think that. I think Paul thinks good evangelism is careful, urgent, yet patient evangelism. I think, I think the cause of missions would be greatly helped if we from North America could learn to take the word urgent and the word patient, and figure out how to get them to live together in the same person, doing the same missionary work. Because I think Paul says, this work is urgent. Just read verse 1. And he says this work requires great patience. Read verse 2. Well, in conclusion, Paul wraps it all up with this phrase that I love. There at the end of verse 5, where he says, fulfill your ministry. Kind of like evangelism. I don't think Paul's giving Timothy some new task. He's just sort of tying the bow on everything that he's been saying for the last five verses. 
This is what he says it looks like to faithfully fulfill Timothy's ministry, to be patient, to proclaim the word, to keep proclaiming the word, to make the Bible his evangelism and his discipling strategy, to gather people into churches where they can be taught everything Jesus commanded, to don't go for the sort of get fruit quick schemes, but to be patient and faithful, to teach sound doctrine, to give it the time that it's gonna take to be discerning. By doing that, he'll fulfill his ministry. Well, back to that Bavink quote. The work of missions is the work of God. It's not lawful for us to improvise, but praise God, we don't have to improvise. God's been very clear about what we need to do, about what we need to encourage, what we need to train missionaries to do. And one of the, the great truths of scripture is that the work of missions is the work of God. So our faithfulness will never be in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the confidence that we can have because of what you've done through your son. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of what you've taught us in your word about how we should approach your work. And Lord, we thank you for the many faithful brothers and sisters that even today are spread in places all around the world, faithfully declaring your gospel, faithfully discipling new believers, faithfully serving and leading in churches that are difficult and sometimes small and sometimes slow in growing. Lord, we thank you for their persevering confidence in your gospel and in your word. Lord, we pray that you would enrich them with hope in the gospel. Lord, we pray you'd bring great fruit from their labors. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our churches as we faithfully seek out faithful missionaries and support them and encourage them, all for the glory of your son's name. So we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.